Welcome to the Attracting Lasting Love podcast presented by CoachingWithFroy.com. You've found the place where single adults come for mindful wisdom and insight into how to attract and create healthy, lasting, conscious relationships. And now, here's your host, the owner of CoachingWithFroy.com, number one best-selling author, certified relationship coach, and TV analyst, Roy Biancalana. Well, hello there, and welcome to another edition of the Attracting Lasting Love podcast. My name is Roy Biancolana, and I recognize that as this podcast is airing, um, we are, at least in the United States anyway, right in the middle of summer. And so if that's true for you, I hope you're enjoying the nice weather, the warmer weather as much as I am. You know, I live in Chicago, so um, I am very aware that this does not last forever. The Buddha's teaching that everything is impermanent is certainly true about the weather and the weather here in Chicago because by about the end of October, things start going the other direction and uh, they go in the other direction in some severe ways where I live. So I'm always enjoying the nice, warm, sunny weather in the summertime and um, I hope you are, but then again, you might be in the part of a world where it's wintertime. So perhaps you're able to enjoy whatever the weather is. Um, And so with that, let's talk a little bit about today's podcast. As you know, this is part six of what I am now able to commit to say that this series is going to be eight sessions long, not seven, eight podcasts on quantum insights. I was just thinking of another teacher I've had in my life and I was like, oh man, I've got to include that person and what I learned from them. So the series has gone from seven episodes to eight. And the whole idea, just to briefly recap in case someone hasn't been listening to the first few editions of this uh, series, is I am talking about and sharing the quantum insights I have gleaned from some of my most important relationship teachers and coaches and gurus and even games and tools. And I mean, I've, I've had a lot of teachers in my life from some very strange places and things that are maybe unexpected as I think you have too, if you stop to think about it, it's amazing where learnings come from. And how the universe uses people and events and uh, exes and um, various experiences and tools and even sports to teach us some really important things for our lives and our love lives. And so that's what this series has been all about, just sharing some quantum insights. They've, they've helped me have a quantum leap in my life and my love life, and I believe they will do the same for you. So that's that's the heart of what this series is all about. So we began in week one, and from my friend and mentor, uh, Jim Dethmer, we learned about radical responsibility. And in the second part of the series, we talked about the human condition, which I believe is beautifully summarized by Michael Singer. Right? And then in part three, through your curveball, And we talked about 
how to be successful in life or love or really anything. And we shared, I shared with you the success formula, which I've learned from the game of golf. Okay. So that's what I mean by sometimes we get the best learnings from places or situations that we might never expect it. And I think that's certainly the case for me anyway, in the game of golf. And so we talked about success and how it transfers into your love life. And then in week four, we talked about body intelligence, which is the insight I've gotten from my first coach, Diana Chapman. And then last week, we talked about the masculine feminine dynamic, the the sexual polarity insights that I have really benefited from. And I've shared them in many podcasts uh, in, in, you know, you know, in, in the Attracting Lasting Love podcast, I've touched on it many times from uh, David Data. Okay, so that's a little bit about where we've been so far. Now today, I'm going to give you sort of another curveball, although it probably should not be unexpected if you follow me, if you listen to this podcast with some regularity. Today, I want to share with you a tool that has really given me so many insights. It's changed my life in so many ways. And that tool is something I call or is called the Enneagram, the Enneagram of personality. And that's an odd word, the Enneagram. First of all, it's spelled E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M if you want to look it up. Ennea, I believe, is nine in Latin. So the Enneagram of personality describes nine different personality or ego types, okay? They are nine ways that we get fixated in the world, nine ways that we sort of have tunnel vision. The nine types are sort of distortions of the complete reality, and it it makes us get overly identified with one perspective in kind of one way and we get narrow-minded in our in our personality type. So the the Enneagram is mapping the ego, the the sense of self and how the sense of self gets formed by nurture and nature to distort reality, to see it in very limited ways. Now, one of the things that people say when they encounter the Enneagram is, is, is one thing they don't like about it, at least they, this is the story they make up, is that I don't like this Enneagram and the nine personality types. I'm not a real big fan of any of the personality systems. They just put you in a box. You know, they just limit you and they just, you know, put you in some sort of little box. And I don't like that. I, I think human nature is bigger than that. I think I'm bigger than that. And I don't, I don't like to be put in a box like that. Well, the Enneagram's philosophy response to that is that the Enneagram isn't putting you in a box. The Enneagram is showing you how you are already in a box and you don't know it. Okay? What the Enneagram is basically saying is, dude, you're already in a box. You are already pigeonholing yourself. You are already in a distortion. You are already fixated on one aspect of life or reality, and you're unable to see the range 
of possibilities, the range of expressions, the range of truth, you are narrowed in and you're in a box already. The Enneagram is showing you the way out of it. It's not putting you in it. Okay. Now, you're going to have to get into the Enneagram a little bit in order to see more of what I just said and how true that is. Right. But I want to invite you, if you have resistance to this kind of conversation of personality typing and stuff like that, I want to invite you to, to be open-minded that maybe the Enneagram is different in that regard. And maybe its wisdom is really worth opening to because I can tell you that no other tool or technique that I've ever learned or come across in my relationship, emotional, spiritual journey, nothing has come even close to the power and the accuracy of the Enneagram. There is no spiritual practice that I found is valuable. There is no spiritual book that I have found as powerful, the Bible included. There is nothing written. There is no speech anyone's ever given. There is no one-on-one coaching I have ever received. Nothing has come close to the power and the accuracy of the Enneagram and the difference it's made in my life. Okay? So can I give it any bigger of an endorsement than that? If you, like, if you have any trust in me at all that I have something to say that's worth listening to, right? If you have even the littlest bit of, I think Roy's got something to say, then you need to look into the Enneagram because I'm telling you that this is a tool that will give you more quantum insights than anything that I will ever give you or Michael Singer or Diana Chapman or David Data or Eckhart Tolle or any of them. It is that powerful. And in terms of other personality systems, nothing comes close to this. Nothing is as deep. Nothing is as accurate. And Truthfully, anyone who is familiar with the most popular personality types out there, if they're familiar with what's called Enneo style or the DISC or the Myers-Briggs, any of these things, if anyone's familiar with all of them, no one would dispute that the Enneagram is the deepest and most accurate, hands down, there isn't a close second, okay? So if you're going to do anything with personality, it needs to be in the Enneagram because it's, it's, it's just proven its accuracy. It's proven its depth. It's stood the test of time and it's produced transformations and insights like nothing that I've ever come across. Okay. So that's just me wanting – because. If you come away from anything in this podcast, I want you to go away from from this saying, I want to look into that. And I can recommend some websites. I can recommend some books. And maybe I'll do that right now. Okay? The best website I think that you can go to that is uncomplicated and 
you know, nicely done and laid out, very functional and easy to follow is a website called it's called enneagram.is www.enneagram.is okay i'm going to say more about this site in a minute because they have a self test on the site that is by far the best online self test you can find in the world today okay so enneagram.is and I think the best book, I mean, there are so many books written on the Enneagram and some of them, to be honest with you, are are very deep and very long and quite complicated because the Enneagram has layers of depth, right? You can learn about the nine types. You can learn about what your tendencies are, but but you can go so deeply into subtypes and, you know, there's just so many layers to it. So some of the books are, are really complicated. Um, They get into deep psychological and spiritual philosophy. Um, And I don't know if that's necessary for most of us. I mean, I've read them because I use the Enneagram and I, I coach with it. Um, You know, and I'm, I'm just like that. I love to research stuff and study stuff and learn stuff. So I'm kind of a bookworm when it comes to that kind of stuff. But you don't need to do that. The book that you should get, if you're going to get a book, it's called The Wisdom of the Enneagram. The Wisdom of the Enneagram. And it's written by Rich Hus- it's Hudson and Rizzo. I believe it's Rich Hudson and Don Rizzo. I'm not sure of the first names, but I know their last names. (laughs) Hudson and Rizzo. It's got a blue cover on the book, The Wisdom of the Enneagram. That's the one I think is the simplest to understand. It's still quite deep. It still gives you an enormous amount of psychological and spiritual background as to the origin of our personalities. And where they come from and why they're formed and and what the Enneagram is trying to describe, right? So I'm, I'm not telling you it's a fluff book. <laughs> it's not. It's just probably for someone new to the Enneagram, the best place to start, okay? Now, the last thing I'm going to say here, and, and I don't do this very often, um, where I get I get pretty pretty righteous about something. <laughs> and that is, I, I want to suggest to you, here, here's just my opinion. I would never work with a therapist, a coach, a counselor of any kind. I would never work with anyone in the helping profession that wasn't very astute, in the Enneagram. I mean, not only do they know what it is, but they've studied it. They've read books. They've gone to workshops. Like they're into the Enneagram. A lot of people have heard of it, but they don't really know what it is and they don't use it as a primary tool in their work as a therapist, coach, counselor. I just... I, w- I wouldn't even sit on the couch. I mean, if I sat in front of a therapist, 
And I said, hey, are you familiar with the Enneagram? And they said, no, I really have never heard about that. Or if they said, no, I, I've heard about that. I, I've heard it's interesting, but, but I don't really know too much about it. I would say, thank you for your time. And I'd get up and I'd walk out. It, this is a tool that I don't know how you work with people if you don't use it. I really don't. Because you know what happens if you don't? You work with everybody the same. See, if you're in the helping profession, you have, you know, we all have our philosophies. We all have the things that we've learned or experienced, okay? And very often what happens is someone comes to work with us and we put them through our program. We we take them into the direction that we think is good, that this is what you need to focus on. This is what this is what I think it takes to make a good relationship or to be more emotionally healthy or to function in the world in a, a better way, right? And so therapists, counselors, coaches, we have a tendency to work with everybody the same because we, we have our philosophy. We have our kind of way of seeing what it means to live a healthy life. You follow me? But the Enneagram comes in. If there's any one teaching of the Enneagram that stands out, is it's basically saying, you can't do that because not everybody is the same. In fact, they don't see the world the same at all. The Enneagram is basically saying that there's like nine different universes that people live in and they don't overlap. It, it's almost like, oh, here's a great way to illustrate this. What if, what if you're a coach, counselor, or therapist and you speak Chinese? Okay? You speak Chinese and that's all you can speak. You don't know any other languages. You speak Chinese. Okay, so I come in your office. I don't speak Chinese. How are you going to work with me? I won't understand you. I, I can't connect with you. You won't understand me. Right? What if you speak Japanese or French or Russian or Spanish? I'm trying to think of other languages. <laughs> Portuguese. <laughs> Do you get me? It's like you need to know you need to understand me. You you need to understand my language if you're going to be able to help me. Does that make sense? If you don't really under if you can't understand me and where I'm coming from and what I'm saying, I don't know how you can help me. And if you don't use the Enneagram, you don't know what language a person's speaking. Because the nine types are so different. They are like different languages. They see the world differently. They have different fears. They have different ways they fixate. They have different vices, different virtues. They get triggered by different things. So if two people go to a therapist or a coach and they're having 
issues in their love life, you can't deal with them the same. You, you need to find out what is your personality type? How do you see the world? What are you most afraid of? What are your most deeply held beliefs that are driving the way you live and relate? You see that? So the Enneagram, once you know the Enneagram, you know that I can't coach everybody the same. You see, so I don't do anything close to cookie cutter stuff with my clients. I'm not trying to brag. It's just the result of the Enneagram. Now, I do have one coaching program that I do with all of my new clients. There's a certain number of sessions. There's a certain number of what I call laser calls that people can have with me. I have resources that I bring. I want them to read my book and stuff like that. So I I have a structure that everyone follows. But one of the first things we do, even before your first session, we're going to discover what your Enneagram type is. And then all of our conversations are going to be based on that. So if you're the if you're a type one, the reformer or perfectionist, all of our conversations and our love lives about your love life and your wanting to attract lasting love are going to be about how your personality type is getting in the way, how it can serve you, how it can hinder you. And there are specific ways a perfectionist or someone who is a reformer, there are certain ways that they sabotage themselves, certain ways that they turn people off, certain ways that they become difficult to relate with. But not everybody's a perfectionist. Do you see? Because if you're a type six, which is called the loyal skeptic, your main thing is fear. Right? You, your, your mind tells you stories about what could go wrong and you have a lot of self-doubt and a kind of an insecurity because of it. You don't trust people. Now, everybody can wrestle with trust, but sixes really struggle with trust. They don't trust themselves. They don't trust life. They live with a kind of fear of what could go wrong, people out to get me. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't trust their motives, right? Do you see that, that can be a barrier to an, a relationship, can it not? If you're not able to trust someone that when they say they really like you, oh, no, you don't. I don't think, I think you have some ulterior motive here going on. I don't know what you're up to, buddy, but right, right. But see, not everyone's like that. So what if I had a coaching program that was all about overcoming that kind of fear? Well, then I would only connect with people who are sixes because the other types, they don't, they don't wrestle with that the same. You see, so if you're going to work with someone, they need to understand and you need to understand how you see the world, how you've distorted reality. Because once they see that, then they can create a coaching program that will help you. Because a program for the one is going to look different than a program for the six, right? So that's the value of the Enneagram when you're in my position is that once I know what your type is, I could tell you why you're not attracting lasting love. 
just because I know your type if I'm sure of it. That's another issue, of course. We have to be very sure of our type. And sometimes it's difficult to determine what our type is. But once you know what your type is, I could tell you. (laughs) I could tell you where you're going to trip yourself up and how you're going to turn people off and how you're going to sabotage your love life. See? So that's that's just my opinion on, on the Enneagram. And I just encourage you, don't work with anyone who doesn't use it. And don't settle for anything, any other type of personality system. They're not designed for spiritual, emotional, and relational growth. Most of the personality systems, the Myers-Briggs, the DISC, that kind of stuff, that's for business stuff. And it doesn't really apply to your personal psychological development. Okay? Now, having said that, here's what I want to do with, with the time we have remaining. I've already discussed all nine of the Enneagram types in depth, okay? Podcast number 67, 68, and 69 were devoted to three of each of the nine types. And I go into each type very much in depth, okay? So I'm going to refer you to those types if you want to get more background or hear me describing each of the types in detail. But what I want to do today is first, I want to tell you how you can discover your type, okay? And then I want to talk, actually, this may be putting the cart before the horse, but I want to talk about the ways in which each type can sabotage you and the type of work you need to do. I want to talk about each type's vice and virtue. Okay? I want to talk about each type's sabotaging behavior and what you need to do about it. And all of that is from the perspective that I'm assuming you already know what your type is. Okay? Now, you might not. But I'm going to go a quick overview of all nine types. I'll describe what each type is basically, you know, and then I'll say, if you're this type, here's how you sabotage. Here's what you need to work on. Okay. So you're going to get a little deeper teaching today um, on sort of like what I'm going to describe for you is, is sort of basically what I do with, with my clients. Once we know their type, we start working on, here's how you sabotage yourself. Here's what you need to work on to stop doing that, to stop keeping keeping yourself single. And by the way, remember in part one of this radical responsibility, we said that being single is not something happening to you. It's something you're doing to yourself, like you're sabotaging yourself. You're keeping yourself single. Well, you want to know the, the main way you do it is through your personality type is through the way you distort reality, is through the way you see the world, your limited beliefs. It's your Enneagram type that's keeping you single, is my point. And so I want to describe the types, and then I want to go deeper, you know, into, um, I want to go deeper into how, um, you know, how they show up and what we can do about it. Okay, And maybe all of that just makes you, man, I want to go find out my type 
because now I've kind of heard these different ways that it can sabotage. And I'm pretty convinced, you know, Roy just said, you know, you, it's the central issue in your growth to know how your, your ego sees the world because they don't see it all the same way. Um, so with that, let me tell you some cool ways that you can identify your type. The first one is through that website, Enneagram.is. They have a self-test. It costs 20 bucks. Okay. Now, when you're a client of mine, it's included in the fee. Um, but this is for the general public. You can go on there and they've done some research on this. They have found that their online test is about 85% accurate. That is really good. All the other online sites, and they admit this because they're online tests. You know, how good can they be? The other ones all come out to about 57% accurate. That's the numbers I've heard. That's not good enough. That's not even close to being good enough. That's 50-50. Because you don't want to get your type wrong because then you start working on the wrong things, right? Does that make sense? When you know your type, you know the way you're going to sabotage and you know what to work on. But if you mistype yourself, then you're starting to think about you're sabotaging in a way, but you're not. And then you work on something that you really don't need to work on. You follow me? So we got to get accurate. So use Enneagram.is, pay the 20 bucks, see what they say. Now, the second way is I've made my own self-test. Okay? What I've done is I have put a one-page description, very detailed, of every single type. So I have a document that's I think has got a one-page cover cover letter kind of thing. And then it's got nine pages with one page devoted to each type. You simply read the thing, you read all nine types and you're going to be like, okay, that one, that's the one that most resonates for me. Right? So I'm, that's for free. I'm willing to give you my Enneagram self-test for free. Just send me an email, say, Roy, send me that test. Okay, so I've got it all prepared for you. It's easy for me. I just, you know, attach, send. Okay, so send me an email, Roy at coachingwithroy.com, and I will send you my own personally made self test. Between that and the online thing, I think you're going to get pretty close to, to what your type is, right? Now, that's the best that I can do for you without you being a client. If you're a client, there's a lot more things I can do with you. There's more resources I have. And I have a way of when I'm talking with someone and asking them questions, I can tell what your type is. Just because I know the type so well, I can spot them a mile away. Okay? So, you know, the absolute best way would be to take the online test, take my test, and then work with me. And we'll, then we'll really narrow, nail it down. And your whole, you're going to have so many aha moments, you know, when you start to see what your type is. Like, no wonder why I react like that. No wonder why that bothers me. No wonder why I'm afraid of that. No wonder why I respond this way. It's going to give you so many aha moments. You know, no wonder why I'm single. Yeah, I can see how that would be a turnoff. I can see how that would put a barrier between me and another person or 
I can see why it would make it difficult to get close to me because of my personality type and the way it operates sort of unconsciously in my life. Okay? Now, let's jump right in. I want to go through each of the types. I'm going to go through them fairly quickly. Um, I'm going to describe the type and then I'm going to give you the vice and virtue. Okay? I'm going to give you the sabotaging behavior and what to work on. And we'll start with type one, which is called the reformer or the perfectionist. Reformer meaning like they want to make change. They want to make it right. They want to change the world. They want to change themselves. They want to change people. The perfectionist is a bit more of a a pejorative term, but it captures it. The type one is kind of an anal, this is the right way type. Okay? So they're rational, idealistic, purposeful, principled, self-controlled, and reforming. Type ones are loving, they love to change people. They think this is the way the world is supposed to be. This is how I'm supposed to be. This is how you're supposed to be. There's a right way. There's a wrong way. They have very high internal standards for correctness. There's a correct way. Okay? Now, what's the sabotaging behavior? Well, on the surface, they're critical. Because there's a correct way to be. There's a correct way to act. There's a correct, and it's the and it's the way I think it should be, <laughs> right? There's so there's a righteousness about a perfectionist. They can be very annoying. They're demanding. They can be harsh. They can be critical. But underneath it, there's an underlying anger, or maybe a better word is resentment. Ones have a resentment. Why? Because the fucking world is so messed up, it's not the way it's supposed to be. People aren't the way they're supposed to be. I'm not the way I'm supposed to be. You're not the way I'm supposed to be. There's an anger because things aren't perfect. Things are not right. So there's this underlying thing. But it doesn't come to the surface very much because that would be bad. See, type ones want to be good people. They, they, they want to be their principle. It's not good to be angry. So, the, so it's kind of underneath the surface. There's a smoldering resentment that things are not right. Damn it. Right. But, but they can't really express it because, oh, that wouldn't be good. That's not holy. That's not spiritual. Right. So anger. So what do ones need to work on? Serenity. Serenity now. Remember the Seinfeld episode? (laughs) Right? Ones need to let go and relax. Loosen up the sphincter. Right? It's like relax. Trust that life is unfolding the way it's supposed to. See that there is a perfection in the imperfection. So let go. Let go of the fight to try to change the world. And you will be easier to be around. You'll be less critical. You'll be less demanding. You'll be less anal. You'll be less righteous. So anger and serenity are are the vice virtues of the type one. Okay? Now, type two. It's called the helper or the giver. These people are caring, interpersonal, generous, 
people-pleasing, and possessive. Okay? Type 2s are just warm and very friendly and giving and there for you. But they can fall into people-pleasing. They can be possessive in the sense that, you know, you're my friend and I'm the one helping you and you need me and you know they 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 can it can get a little sticky there they can be a little manipulative with how much they help and so forth okay so type 2s are called the helper now where do they get in trouble well the word is pride let me let me explain this and see all of these vices and virtues are sort of subtle right they're they don't jump right out at you. Just like with the type one, you wouldn't think anger is really the issue with the one, but it really is. It's, it's, if you, it's subtle. You have to look for it. It's the anger that makes them try to change everybody and be critical, right? Same too with the type two. There's something called pride. You say, pride? I'm helpful. I'm generous. I'm warm. I'm giving. Right. The pride is... You need help and I don't. You have problems and I'll fix them. I got my shit together, but you don't. I'm here for you. I'm here to care for you, to take care of you, to give you advice, to to give you an embrace. But see, I don't need that. I don't need because I because I got my shit together. I don't have I don't have knees. I'm not like you. Are you picking up on it? So the work of a type two really is humility. The humility to say, oh, I have needs too. Can you help me? The humility to express that they need help, that they need support, that they need to be taken care of, that they need to be seen that they need someone's warmth. Do you, do, you, do you feel that? See, type twos get in these one-sided relationships where they over-function and they take care of under-functioning people. And they can feel very prideful because, you know, you need me. Of course you need me because, you know, I, look, look at my, I've, got, I've got it together. Well, no, you don't. <laughs> and you know it. But see, you think you won't get love if you have to express your needs. You think you get love by helping others. They will love me. They will notice me. They will approve of me if I don't impose on them and I'm just there to help them. See, twos feel unlovable. So I'm going to help you and then you'll love me. But if I express my own needs, oh boy, um, you might feel like I'm I'm an issue. Um, I'm a hassle. And you might not want to be around me. So type twos help people in a way of almost manipulating them to get people to need them and want them, to depend on them. So type twos get into all kinds of codependence. Right? So two 
has a pride issue underneath the surface, and then they need to work on humility, the humility to recognize that they aren't better than anyone else. They have the same problems, the same needs, and they can make them known, and they can be as vulnerable and needy as the people they're helping. See, most of the time in in our world and in this work, needy is a bad word, but I mean, we're all needy. I mean, let's just get with it now, okay? Um, But the two hides behind, I don't need it. And so that's the pride. All right, let's move on. Type three. Type three is called the achiever or the performer. The performer is probably a better word because the achiever, that sounds, it almost sounds a little too good, right? The word performer has a little connotation of you're phony, you're fake, you're performing, right? You're on a stage performing, but it's not really who you are. You're playing a part. You're presenting an image, right? You're playing a role. You're presenting, you're performing. And while threes normally are successful and they normally achieve in what they do, um, they're performers. And I speak as one. My ego type is three. So threes are success-oriented, pragmatic, adaptable, driven, and image-conscious. That's the most important one. Threes are image freaks. They really want to control how people see them. They are the quintessential politician. I want your vote. So who do I need to be to get you to vote for me? Right? And they can morph or be like a chameleon to become what they think they need to be in order to be successful. So that's the dark side of being adaptable. And on one hand, being adaptable is a really wonderful trait. On the other side, if you're adapting the image you present in order to get people to like you, to get what you want, you know, that kind of thing, then now you're performing. Now you're playing some sort of game. And that's what threes do. So their self-sabotaging behavior is deceit. Deceit. doesn't mean that they're outright liars, right? That's not what I mean by it. Deceit is this image management. Threes really deceive themselves. They, they believe their own press clippings. They don't even know that they are chameleons. They don't see that they are always trying to impress people. And they're saying things that they think will impress people. They are withholding things that they think won't impress people. They are showing a part of themselves that they think people will respond positively to. And they aren't showing the part that they think they won't. See, that's that's what deceiving means in this con- in this context. And so the work of the type three is authenticity or veracity, truthfulness. In other words, to stop doing that game of managing your image and just be authentic. Like quit being adaptable, quit being a chameleon. And so you're beginning to understand that Once you understand your self-sabotaging behavior, it's just doing the opposite of that, right? If you're angry, serenity. 
If your pride, humility. If you're in this deceiving, image-managing thing, authenticity. It's the beauty of the Enneagram. It makes it really simple. My life's work is to notice when and how I manage my image and try to make people see me a certain way and decide to drop that and to just find out who I really am and show that to the world. Now, it's scary for a three because, well, then you might not like me. I might not succeed. I might not get what I want. You see, and this is what I fell into in my love life. I would become the type of boyfriend that I thought the woman wanted me to be because I wanted to win. I wanted to be successful, meaning I wanted to get her to like me. So I was a chameleon around women. And you see how that's going to backfire? Eventually, the they're going to see through the game. Eventually, something's going to happen to where my reality is going to be seen. And it's like, oh, shit, now what, right? I mean, who are you, right? I thought you were this guy. Now I'm finding out you're not that guy. Do you see that? So my work has always been to meet a woman in authenticity and not try to get her to like me, but just say, this is me. If you like it, great. If you don't, that's okay too. Instead of me saying, who do I need to be to get in your pants? Who do I need to be to get you to want to make a life with me? You see? Now, that brings up another point here. Every one of these things we all can relate to. Who can't relate to anger and serenity, right? Maybe in nine. (laughs) The peacemaker is so disowned anger. We'll get to that in a minute that maybe they can't relate to anger and serenity. But who can't relate to pride and humility? Who can't relate to deceit in the way I'm describing it and veracity? Okay? All right. Number four is called the individualist. Okay? The individualist. This type is like the most emotionally involved type. They're, they're, they're the most emotional of all the types on the Enneagram. And, you know, there's always an emotion happening with a type four. They're high, they're low, they're, 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 they're always in it. They're always in an inner turbulence. There's always all this feeling and swirling around inside of them. Sometimes it's joy and it's fun and it's exuberant and then it's deep lows and depression and melancholy and they're just all over the place emotionally. So the type four is sensitive, sometimes withdrawn, dramatic, creative often, self-absorbed and temperamental. Do you feel that? Sensitive and dramatic and temperamental, yet creative, self-absorbed in their own little world, wrapped up in their own little feelings, okay? Now, what the four, the four self-sabotaging behavior is envy. Now, what I mean by envy is the four, the reason that they're so temperamental and, and they take everything so personally and they go through these emotional mood swings. They're the, they're the most moody of all the types. It's because they look around at the world and they say, why does everyone have something and I can't have it? 
right? They look at the world and say, I'm lacking what everyone else seems to have. I want what everyone else seems to have. How come I don't have the relationships that they do? How come I don't have X, Y, or Z like they do? So they look at the world and they compare. They're a very comparing type. Type threes are competitive. Type fours are more comparative. They compare themselves to others. And they're like, why do they have it? And I can't. And I want what they, I want, like a type four is basically saying, I'm always longing for what I can't seem to have. That's envy. That's envy. So what is the work that a type four needs to do? And by the way, how would that sabotage a relationship? The moodiness, the temperamental, the feeling that I never get what I want. I can't have what other people have, right? The, the, the drama, the self-absorption. Fours are a challenge to be in a relationship with. Can you feel it? So what they need to work on is a Buddhist word called equanimity or emotional balance. Emotional balance. They need to learn how to still the inner turbulence so they have less drama, so they can be less self-absorbed and notice other people, so they can be less temperamental, less moody, getting a little bit more even keel because they're on a roller coaster, right? So that's the four filled with this envy energy that makes it difficult to relate with them. And then your, so your path is, what does it mean for me to have emotional stability? See, the type four is the most emotional and they would tell you, oh, I'm emotionally intelligent because they think, because they feel all these emotions, that they have a high EQ. No, just the opposite. They have no emotional intelligence because they can't control anything. They're so controlled by their feelings that they whip up a storm all around them. They're a pain in the ass to be around because they're always blaming people and feeling shame about themselves and you never do this for me and and everyone else has got that and I don't, right? So they have emotions, but they don't know how to manage their inner framework. And when they learn this, they become so rich and tender and available. Fours, when they really get on their game, are incredible people because they can handle other people's emotions. They, they sort of understand. They have a bandwidth to be with pain or suffering where it might scare other people off. Right? Fours are not scared of big emotion. Right? But you can't really be with, with big emotion if you can't manage your own inner turbulence. Okay, that's the four. The type five is called the observer, sometimes the scientist. But I think the observer is better because even though fives are normally smart, you know, scientific, they're very mentally oriented types. They're very much of a head type. The word observer catches it better. The, 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 the word observer speaks to someone who stands outside of things and just watches. They're not engaged. They're not on the field. They're not playing. They're, they want to keep their distance. They want to stay out and just kind of watch. 
and observe. They don't want to get in the middle of it. Okay? So the type five is the observer. They're intense. They're cerebral. They're perceptive. They're innovative. They're secretive. And they're isolated. Right? The fives, their sabotaging behavior is like, it's sort of a combination of isolation And the word is avarice or stinginess. That doesn't mean they're cheap. It doesn't mean that. What it means is the fives have this fear that they don't have the resources to meet the demands of life. That they're going to be intruded upon. That they're going to be drained that they're going to be asked to give what they don't have to give. They feel like they have a limited amount of time and energy and love and resources, right? And they have to conserve it. They have to protect it. They have to be stingy with it because I, I, I don't have so much of this stuff and, and the world and relationships and friends and people are going to ask me for more than I have to give. So I have to conserve all this so that I have enough for myself, okay? So the sabotaging behavior, can you hear that? They're isolated. They actually see a relationship as a threat. You get close to me, you're going to ask me for more than I have. You're going to intrude upon me. Fives are privacy nuts. They're autonomy freaks, And they feel like a relationship is going to infringe upon my autonomy. And you're going to come in and you're going to get in my space. You're going to get in my head. You're going to get in the way. You're going to upset the little routines that I have here. And so fives end up being single because they see relationships as a threat. Their avarice, their stinginess makes them isolate and stay away. So you'll very often see fives are single. Now, what do they need to work on? Non-attachment, right? See, if you get this, this this is subtle. Non-attachment because they're attached to their autonomy. They're attached to their resources, their time, their energy. They, they, They have this limiting scarcity belief that I only have so much and everyone's going to take it from me and so they're, they're attached to themselves, their privacy, their autonomy, their resources, when in, in reality, there's an abundance. There is, there is no need to protect, right? You have enough time, energy. You can set boundaries. A relationship does not have to be a threat. It doesn't have to infringe on your privacy or your autonomy. So they have to learn how to be not attached to all their beliefs and their, their mental constructs. Okay, the type six we've already touched on. It's called the loyal skeptic, right? They are, you know, they are committed people. They're great friends. They're committed. They're security oriented. They're engaging. They're reliable, but they're anxious and suspicious. Okay, they have trust issues. They have a vivid imagination especially for what might come along that it's going to threaten my safety and my security. So they look at the world and like, how are you going to hurt me? What could go wrong? 
What are you up to? So they doubt themselves. They doubt other people's motives. They're just, they have, they live with a constant sense of anxiety. Now we all live with some of that, but they live with kind of an ever present worry about what could go wrong. They catastrophize in their heads. They have a lot of that, that, that voice that talks in their heads is telling them what could go wrong and be careful of this and you don't, you don't have enough to handle that and they're up to something here and you shouldn't trust them. I don't very often work with sixes because sixes very often don't trust authority figures. You see it? They project their fear and say, you're not worthy of trust. You, you got some motive. You just want my money. You're going to take advantage of me, right? So sixes very often don't end up doing the kind of work that I invite people to do on this podcast because, but they don't see it. They don't see that, that they, they're distorting reality. They're, they're seeing something that isn't there, right? Or they're making it bigger than it really is. And they're, and they're keeping themselves stuck by all their anxious thoughts and worries and self-doubt and suspicion, right? So do you see how having a trust issue would hold you back in a relationship? <laughs> so what do, what do sixes need to work on? Courage. Courage. And courage is not the absence of fear. It's the ability to stay present in the middle of it. It's, cur- it's, it's the courage to challenge your own beliefs. It's the courage, you know, to, to trust. It's the courage to trust your own inner wisdom. The courage to recognize that you have a compass inside of you that you can trust. You, you have a guidance, an inner guidance system that you can trust. And you, you can let go of, of, of your fears and trust that life is unfolding perfectly. And there really isn't anything to be afraid of. All right, so that's the path of the six. Now, the seven is called the adventurer. Right? These are the party animals of the Enneagram type. These are the people that are busy, fun-loving, spontaneous, versatile, acquisitive, and scattered. Sevens usually have so much going on, they're all over the place. Sevens have a schedule that's packed. And they, and they, they want to make sure there's you know, possibilities and fun things and new things. And, right? they, 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 they just love to plan. They, they love to have a good time. They want to keep busy. It's like nines are pleasure seekers. They're like addicted to pleasure, to fun, to excitement, to new and different things. Nine, uh, sevens are not very good. If I misspoke there and said nine, I'm not sure why. Sevens are not very good at managing things They're good at ideas and getting things off the ground, but they don't want to stick through it and stick with it because that's difficult. That's boring. That's kind of hard work. I want to move on to the new next fun thing. So do you see where they might have trouble in relationship? 
Well, after a few weeks, ah, same guy, same girl, same thing. Eh, I'm kind of getting bored with this. See, sevens have such a need for excitement and newness and adventure that they can put enormous pressure on a partner to entertain them or to keep up with them. And they can get bored in the monotony and the daily interactions of a a partnership. Because sometimes life is not one party after another, one exciting adventure after another. So what is the what is the real issue that sabotages the seven? It's the word called gluttony. Not that they eat too much. It's just that they consume everything. Right? They want more. More fun, more this, more that. Fill my schedule. Fill my life. Because they're running away from an empty feeling on the inside. They want to stay so busy. And they want to stay with something exciting because they know if they stop that there's an empty place inside of them that scares the shit out of them. And I don't want to go there. So I'm going to stay busy. My schedule is going to stay full. What are we doing next? What's the next fun thing? So they're like the dog chasing the rabbit at the dog track. They're just chasing after excitement and fun. Because they know if I stop and I look in, that scares the hell out of me. So what is the work of a seven? Gluttony, sobriety. Doesn't mean you don't drink. It means you live a sober life. It's like you get off of this chasing pleasure, chasing fun thing. You have the, you have the sober mindedness about your schedule, the sober mindedness about life and what you expect from it, the sober mindedness to be still, to enjoy silence to explore that empty feeling and see it's not as scary as you thought, right? So it's getting off of the gluttony, more chasing, active, busy thing and finding a stillness, finding a sobriety in your life, right? Now, the type eight, it's called the challenger, okay? Sometimes the boss. This type is powerful, dominating, self-confident, decisive, willful, and confrontational. The challenger does not mind a fight. In fact, they like it. They don't mind anger. In fact, they're comfortable with it. And they can be domineering, though. They can be control freaks. Very often in, in the world, they're CEOs. They're in charge of things. Okay? So what is their thing? Well, in some books, they use the word lust. And that is, there's, they, there's just this craving for power and control, right? There, there's just this kind of a, I want to say a hunger, but a, a more, more power, more control, more dominance, more winning, more being in charge, right? So I, I, I think the best way to, to serve you with this, if, if you might be an eight, is to just to recognize that you, you want to be in charge, you want to be strong, you want to be tough, you want to have an image of strength, and you want to be in control. And so therefore, can you see how that would sabotage? You got to be in control of everything. You're the boss 
You're powerful. You're dominating. See how that would sabotage your love life? So what's the work? Vulnerability. Innocence. Tenderness. Right? It's the opposite of this control, domination, power. It's finding that little boy or little girl in you who's innocent, who's tender, who's vulnerable. It's often said that eights are walking, are, are like a, a little wounded, scared child walking around in an adult body. Right? That's what eights are. They're a wounded, scared little boy or little girl walking around in an adult body. And they're putting on this bravado, this power, this domination to cover that. So the work is to embrace or uncover the innocent little child, the vulnerable one. And when eights begin to move in vulnerability, they become very attractive. It's like, oh, I see your heart now. Instead of, instead of, instead of seeing your fist, I see your heart. Okay? And then, last but not least, which is an important thing to say because nines think they are the least. <laughs> They're last on the list, but the, the numbers don't mean value. They're just numbers. But the type nine is called the peacemaker. And that word is all you need. Nines are devoted to keeping the peace. They want to keep the peace inside of them. They want to keep the peace around them. They will do anything just to calm it down. Just relax. Calm down. Don't get upset. It's all good. Easy going. Unassuming. Agreeable. Complacent. It's okay. It doesn't bother me. Don't worry about it. Oh, I'm not going to confront you. No anger. I don't want to hear anger. I don't want to express anger. I don't want to feel anger. I just, I want to, I want to just be at peace. Can we just, can we all just get along? Okay. <laughs> so nines have this easygoing, unassuming, self-forgetting, agreeable thing that they do. And they're really easy to get along with because of it. They really are because they go along with anything. Okay. So what, what, what are they, you can see how that would be trouble in a relationship, just being sort of flatlined, right? I'm just, whatever. I'm okay with anything. I don't matter. They don't, they don't express their needs or their wants. They don't speak up when they're upset or hurt. They don't confront anything. So you can see the problem that causes. So their word is laziness. That captures their self-sabotaging behavior. Not that they're not busy and don't do anything, but they're lazy about the important stuff. They're lazy about their own feelings. They're lazy about confronting what needs to be confronted. They're lazy about addressing what needs to be addressed. They're lazy about showing up and, and you know, being seen. They're lazy about valuing themselves, right? So what their work has to be is action. <laughs> Take action. What do you mean? Speak up. Confront something. Take action on your needs. Don't be so easygoing. Don't be self-forgetting. Be self-remembering. Don't be so agreeable. Share your opinions or your wants. Step in there. Mix it up. Be a force to be reckoned with. Take action. Quit being this lazy, in-the-background wallflower. 
Oh, I don't mind. I don't matter. Oh, don't worry about me. I, 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 I don't, I don't matter. I don't, I don't, I don't, don't worry about me. You know, it's, it's, it's that, it's that laziness of, of importance. So nines need to take action for themselves in their lives. Stand up. Now you don't have to create fights, but you need to, you need to show up. You need to, you need to be a voice and a person to be reckoned with. Okay, there you go. There you go. So that's all nine. Went a little longer than I really wanted to, but I hope that's helpful. I hope that gives you some stuff to think about. And I hope you go to Enneagram.is. I hope you email me for my self-test and sort of figure out, you know, what, um, what your type is. And then if you need help with this, and you will, but if you, if you need some coaching and, and identifying your type, or learning how to let go of your sabotaging behaviors given your context and your family and your job and your love life, that's what I'm here for. All right? So I look forward to um, hearing from you, and you can reach me at Roy at coachingwithroy.com or my cell phone, 407-687-3387. So until next week, bye-bye. You've been listening to Attracting Lasting Love with Roy Biancalana. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and share it with anyone you think might benefit from listening. Check out our website at coachingwithroy.com and tune in every week for more insights and wisdom on creating healthy, lasting, conscious relationships.